It is nine o'clock at night, and welcome to Neil and Zach at night. What's up, brother? Neil and Zach at night. I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, like I don't like night, the way either Zach of us night. feel, but this is that's a, that's a cool hook. <laughs> it's it's a it's a different vibe. Coming in at a cool nine thirty five p.m. right now. In For a... me, normally this isn't a problem, but I've been waking up at like 7.30 in the morning recently, so this is like late for me now. Who are you? I know, dude. I fucking hate it. <laughs> fucking hate Who it. are you? I'm waking up at 7.30 like on my own, like wide awake and being like, what the fuck is this? There's daylight. There's so much of it. Left. I know, dude. Though it's I not even s- hot. So Yeah. I got so much done and I looked at my phone and it was like 9.51 a.m. I was like, what? No. No, I was supposed to go out for, I mean, I went out for drinks with my friend this afternoon. We were going to go do a little bit of day drinking. And, uh, you know, normally for me, I wake up at 11 AM. And so like, it's acceptable to start day drinking two hours after I wake up. But this time I was like, fuck, it's not even 10 AM. I can't start. Day drinking. <laughs> Irish coffee. Relatively yeah, acceptable. I, right. Yeah, I guess like, I guess I could have. No, I think those taste like, but so dude, really to be fair, yeah, I can fight me about it and I'm not about him at all though my taste in alcohol is also changing too though so Mm. to what i used to love very like all whiskey drinks very whiskey forward she drinks a whiskey drink she drinks a vodka drink she drinks a vodka drink (laughs) she drinks a cider drink (laughs) 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 bro i was i was literally tump thumping all day dude i was listening to that song so hard this morning that's great Oh While God. you're dreaming of drinking, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't dream of genie. I dream of I dream of drinking, yeah, well, just out of a fucking lamp. <laughs> have you seen? Oh, sorry, so you used to drink. Um, was it the Christmas Story and the leg lamp? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what I'm imagining you drinking out of. Not like a Dawes boot, but like a leg lamp. Oh yeah, yeah, full to the top though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drinking from toe to mid thigh, you know. That's 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 what my doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I knew so I could trust you. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. So you were saying you used to drink whiskey drinks. Oh yeah, and I am not into just like alcohol forward drinks anymore. And for the most part, it's just tequila now. Mm. I had so. a feeling you were going to say tequila. I was actually looking at that bottle of mezcal that you got me a while back. Hey. I was like looking at it today and thinking about you. Well, it's a sign we need to just do a drunk podcast. Oh, oh no, dude. I almost kept it going. Like, you know, I got home and, uh, I had already like, I'd sobered up most of the way, you know, and I'd got home and I was like, should I, should I rev this fucking engine back up? And like, I have, should have revved I think eight high noons in my fridge. I was like, should I just fucking send it, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I approve of this message. I was wearing a short sleeve button up shirt with like red, white, and blue flamingos on it. And like a pair of heart shaped red, white, and blue aviators. That is great. You were ready for Fourth of July. Oh yeah, yeah. I was obnoxiously day drinking today. <laughs> I was not whatsoever. I got, I got that impression. <laughs> Me and Neil trying to plan this podcast today. He's like, "Are you cool with doing eight thirty tonight?" I was like, "Holy fuck, who are you? And what have you done with Neil?" And then I'm like, "Yeah, dude, no worries." And then a little bit later on in the day, he goes, "You know, I think we can do nine instead. Is that cool with you?" I was like, "Yeah, dude, nine is fine. I'm not doing anything." He goes, all right, cool. Then we'll call it 9.15 just to be safe. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now, man. It's called foot in the door it's technique. long week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you got you to gotta get a little bit and then take it all. 
Exactly. exactly. So you just got to get the process started. Yeah. Just like emotional attachment styles. Damn. Wow, you're getting real. This is like is it? Because that I thought I was just pulling teeth to get that one. I don't know. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty tired. So I don't know yeah. if that was, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was bad. I'm going to listen back to this and be like, wow, that was shit. Why did I give you so I think props? it was, all right. <laughs> I'll take it though. <laughs> it's it's 9.39 at night props. You know what You know what they say, dude? You got to crack a couple legs to make an omelet, honestly. And you know, three for three podcasts in a row, you've tried to do some segues and most of them have been good. So breakfast yesterday, cracking Second eggs. Second breakfast? First one did not go well cracked into the omelet or into the pan second egg got a double yolk Ooh, yeah and that's kind of symbolic of just my life right now things are breaking in and then like beautiful good luck double yolks are coming in right after damn bro it's like it's like a double stuff oreo but like yeah god spoke me through eggs (laughs) it's like if at first you don't succeed you will you will achieve your reward on the second try on the second if you if you yeah yolk. there we go you must yoke yourself to the journey, you know? Oh, well, okay. Segway back in. Non-fluid anyway, segue. Segue. <laughs> so, yeah, so I started reading a book called Attached. Not sure how old of a book it is. It seems like it would be fairly old um, because it, it seems kind of like the the gateway book into attachment theory and attach, or adult attachment theory and attachment styles. Um it's a, it's essentially the first book that was written as far as I, as far as it seems from the way they write it, where they actually outlined and identified that there are adult attachment styles, like anxious, avoidant, and secure attachment styles, or a mixture of anxious, avoidant attachment styles. And in the book, they break down, you know, uh, the, the ways that individuals with each different attachment style think and feel what, like their beliefs on relationship, their attachment system responses to those relationships, and the ways they might behave if their attachment systems get triggered. Uh, I'm like halfway through the book right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know at all like uh, about attachment theory or attachment styles, I think it's definitely worth the read. For those of you who have been at it for a long time, as I suspect probably many of our listeners, I almost said readers, as I suspect many of our listeners probably do, I still think it's worth a read because there's actually a lot of really interesting supplementary information, a lot of interesting side facts, uh, and they cite a lot of studies. They write, they they describe the studies in very easy to digest terms, uh, but they but they cite specific studies that teach us really interesting things about the way that anxious and avoidant people behave in relationship and the way that they think about relationship. Um, and I found it fairly, I found it fairly enriching. So what have you found to be like the most interesting so far? Like little gold nuggets that you've it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been there's been several. Uh the first thing I'll say is that, you know, as somebody who's who's had a grip on, you know, anxious and avoidant attachment styles for a little while, there wasn't a ton that I found novel about the descriptions of each different attachment style. There were maybe one or two things where I was like, oh, you know, that helps me put that in context. I've had thoughts like this before. I'm realizing, oh, that's just an attachment system. That's kind of that's kind of cool. Oh, that's a protest behavior. That's kind of cool. And I can describe what those things are in a second. But some of the things that have stood out, uh, one of the one of the figures they cite is that one in four people uh, undergo a shift in their attachment style towards secure attachment, uh, it, which takes about four years. So, like, this is kind of like a natural process that will happen 
for example, if you have a, an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style, one in four people will kind of naturally undergo a shift or a change towards a secure attachment style, which takes about four years. If you're actually trying, you know, and you have, you have you're armed with knowledge and data, I think you can make that transition consciously. Um, although I don't know if it would be any quicker, perhaps. Um, some of the other things that stood out, they were citing a couple of different studies. One of them is like they took uh, a large group of women and they had them sit in a room in front of a screen. And on the screen, they had like a 3D rendering or a 3D model of a face. And the face started angry. And then over the course of a few minutes, they slowly shifted the facial expression in small gradations. Mm -hmm. And the instruction was to press the button or to press the buzzer. The moment you realize that the face is emo that the emotion on the face is starting to change, they found that the women with anxious attachment styles were the quickest at noticing when the face changes. So basically, the idea was that they were far more perceptive to emotional cues and subtle, you know, micro expressions. However, after they would press the buzzer, they were asked to describe kind of like what they think the emotion was changing into, or why they think the emotion was shifting, and they were far worse at determining that than the other women in the study were. So the, those with uh, avoidant and secure attachment styles were. They then did a, a different rendition of the same study where instead of having them press the buzzer as soon as they realized that the face was changing, they made them wait to give an interpretation of what the, the change in the face was, like what emotion it was shifting into. And on that one, they found that, again, unanimously, that uh, those with anxious attachment styles had a much better chance of being able to determine what the shift in emotion was turning into. So the idea was, like, the takeaway, the practical takeaway was that if you have an anxious attachment style or you lean, you have a secure attachment style, but you lean towards some tendencies that might be anxious or some thought patterns that might be anxious, you're likely far better we're far more attuned than most at picking up when people's emotions are changing on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. But the key is to not make assumptions about what they're feeling and not make any assumptions or not internalize what they're feeling. That And, and but what I mean by that is to not assume that it's your fault or that it had to do with you, but rather to take note of the fact that their emotions have changed and then be patient and wait to see um, what arises from that. Um, so those are some of the things with anxious attachment. And then one that I read today on avoidant attachment was they did a study uh, with the, those who had avoidant attachment styles and they had, they were flashing words on a screen and they were instructed to basically press the button when they experienced a negative emotion around some of the words that popped up on the screen. Uh, and they found that when they had their full attention on this task, they would press the button in response to words that had to do with partnership uh, or like the uh, words that had to do with things that the partner might demonstrate. So like things like need or enmeshment were a couple of the things with a couple of the examples they gave. Um, it's like these, what you would expect an avoidant person to feel negatively about like, Oh, this person needs me. They're infringing on my independence. Oh, enmeshment. That means I'm not an individual anymore, like pressing the buzzer. But in, I guess, like the next rendition of the study or like in the next phase of the study, they distracted the participants. And, and by that, like they still had the words flashing up on the screen, but they were instructed to simultaneously like solve an easy puzzle 
or like answer questions, like simple questions on like a piece of paper in front of them. And then like, you know, be glancing up at the screen in between, you know, their task. And they found that when they were mildly distracted, they started to press the button in response to internal fears. So things like death, loss, and grief, um, and things like that. Like basically they found that they were responding to the same fears that those with secure and anxious attachment styles had, but it was only under situations of adequate duress or distraction that they were able to let those fears arise to the surface. That's really interesting, man. Yeah. Actually, I might, I might just try to steal that from you after you finish the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're more than welcome to, of course. Um, the first thing you say brought up a little bit of a Neil rant that I'll share too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, less about interesting findings, but more about just like how us as people identify and connect to these things. Cause I think, and you've, you've heard me say things, talk about this before in other perspectives or with other systems of thought, but like these things, there's tools to help us understand ourselves and like like they identify right you can actually change into a secure attachment style in four years or i didn't know which is really freaking cool um but i think oftentimes when we learn these things about ourselves they often become forms of identification that end up boxing us in rather than something that we can use as a tool to understand ourselves and then begin to move through it so just wanted to highlight that little piece because I think that is always really important. I don't think that applies to many people listening, but it is just a thing that I struggle with with a lot of just different like, oh, this is me um, sort of ways of understanding yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that is true for us from the most frivolous things like, oh, you know, I took a quiz to see you know, what Hogwarts house I'm in versus like, <laughs> you know, I'm an anxious or an avoidant attachment style or like your astrology. Oh, I'm a Capricorn. Oh, I'm a Leo. Oh, I'm a Virgo or whatever. You know, I think people, people want to feel like they're a part of something. I think that's pretty natural. I think it's like a natural built-in mechanism in the human, like the animal side of the human brain to associate yourself with a group because a group confers some sort of loyalty and protection. Um, but you know, it is, I think it's part of our duty as, as, um, conscious beings, uh, or beings with, with a relatively complex form of consciousness on this planet to contrast our animal nature to our spiritual nature or our more human nature, so to speak, right. To go, okay, I'm always going to have animal operating systems. I'm always going to have desires and instincts and drives um and it is on me to be able to monitor those desires instincts and drives and choose when to use them um choose when to let them go so to speak right yeah and i think honestly that is a form of like understanding my patterns my thought processes my emotional reactivity to things mm-hmm. and in a way that like allows me to really separate and begin to work with myself. Like when I first learned the idea of an instinct or a drive, or this is just a mechanism of my body, when these things would come up, say like I just start spiraling or I have like a craving in response to stress, mm-hmm. being able to identify that and like, oh, this is just like 
my body's own physiological response, but it's not something that controls me. It's a automatic response. Being able to identify that and say that to myself is something that was really powerful for me when I first started to learn to work with myself too. Mm-hmm. So I found that I think it's awesome that you shared it in that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think these things can still catch us off guard. There's plenty of times like throughout the week where I go, you know, I'm about to say something to somebody or react in a certain way. And I go like, is this what I really want to do? Or is this like my instinct or like my emotional response? And it's so strong that it's clouding my judgment. And, you know, in those moments when I ask that question, like, I think it's good that I asked that question. I think that that shows a sign of, you know, some like awareness and, and meta perspective and growth. But like, when I ask the question, you know, rarely do I feel like I have a clear answer, you know? Yeah. There are times where I'm like, oh, for sure, this is not the thing that I should say. Or times where I'm like, no, you know, well, this is the thing I should say. Or, well, fuck it. You know, this is what I want to say, whether it's the right or wrong thing to say. Like, I can't live my life, you know, constantly questioning what I'm going to do. Right? You know, I think yeah. it's just kind of a moment, moment by moment thing. It might seem kind of like the argument's collapsing in on itself, but like <laughs> life should have room for nuance. Mm-hmm. I think too, like... Because that's that's something where I've always struggled with too. Like, there's so many voices and ways of understanding a situation, and mm-hmm. you know, um, ways of looking at something. But I think to what you're saying, like in one of the questions that I've always loved to simplify all that is just pausing and asking myself, like, what does this situation need right now, and just go with whatever the first thing is that comes up. Because I think mm-hmm. that I, for me personally, I feel like that gives space to to any possible um response without ignoring one or the other because at some point one is going to be a true need and the other voices are not and that mm-hmm. varies from scenario to from moment to moment mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and we're going to be wrong sometimes too so yeah you know you're human <laughs> you're fallible you're gonna you're gonna fuck shit up probably often you know but i think you know a lot of the, a lot of the times um, the things that you fuck up often are the things that create uh, some of the most beautiful outcomes. Mm-hmm. I think about, you know, uh, my my high school career and how I did not focus very hard on school and how I did not do super well in school and how my lack of academic discipline led me to take a longer time in community college and mm-hmm. so on and so on. Uh, and I look back on that now and I go, well, had I not done that one, I would have not had all the really fun and amazing experiences I had then I would have not probably developed the same, uh, EQ skill set, like the same social, uh, skills, the same like charisma and, you know, whatever, like conversational ability or whatever. Uh, similarly, I would not have met some of the people that I met in community college because first of all, if I had just gone straight from high school to actual college, like I would not have met some of the people who are in my life right now, who are some of my absolute best friends. Um, I would not have, so some of these really key people in my life, um, I did not realize I wanted to be a physician until I was like 20, late 22, early 23 or something like that. Maybe I would have graduated college by the time I decided that I wanted to be a doctor and I would have had to go back and do my prereqs again anyway. Uh, And ultimately, I ended up exactly where I was trying to go. I figured out the academic skill set. I figured out the discipline. 
And had I done it the other way around, maybe I would have done those things earlier and then never had the time or the space or the, you know, the, the impetus to generate the EQ development that I did when I was younger. Right. So you look at it and go, Oh, like you wasted so much time by fucking up in high school, but I'm like, well, fuck, I ended up where I was supposed to end up. And I did it with maybe a skill set that it would not have otherwise had. So, yeah. So it's actually a lot of what's been on my mind too right now, where I'm like navigating career change and you know where I want to go and what's next. And a lot of it I don't know. And just so there's a lot of reflection too, and just taking myself back to that understanding of right, like it is all a journey. Mm-hmm. There, there is no right or wrong. There is no I fucked up. And a lot yeah. of times you fucked up based on your perception more than you actually fucked up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, as as long as you're trying and yeah. you're trying to move forward and you're trying to make strides towards improvement, you're not fucking up, right? You just have, mm-hmm. I like read a brief excerpt from a sequel to one of my favorite books yesterday, actually in like a used bookstore. And it was ta- like taking like a spiritual stance on discussing like the wound of perfectionism And basically in the book, he was saying your idea of perfect is actually your preferences. And to say that something is not perfect is to say that your preference is better than the natural order of, of things, Everything is kind of perfect as it is. And all, all actions have perfect consequences was like the stance that was taken in the book. And so I thought that was kind of, thought that was kind of beautiful. I love that. All actions have perfect consequences. Yeah. But like, like partly want it, partially want to change the word consequence because that just carries a negative connotation to it. I had a feeling, yeah, I had a feeling statement, you'd, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. me. Yeah. Consequences, repercussions. I mean, the idea, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like karma is because in my mind it doesn't have a, it has a neutral charge to it, but maybe not to everybody. We do, I mean, we live in such a Judeo-Christian kind of like punish the punish sinners type of mm-hmm. culture that goes. anything that has anything to do with like spiritual or universal law is like assumed to be punitive. Mm-hmm. Oh, karma punishes. You know what goes around comes around. Like if you mm-hmm. fucked up, then the universe is going to get you back because we all default to the negative yeah. more so than the truth of what that actually means exactly rather than the idea that you know you you create things at the level that you intend and by intend i mean like the intention that went into the act and initially we've talked about this like tons of times on the podcast you know if you're you could do the same act in two different ways one to establish like to manipulate or establish some kind of power or dominance over a person or a situation you will get one karmic consequence from it you could do the exact same thing with the intention in your heart to like genuinely help somebody from a selfless place. You'll generate a different consequence you know, that aligns to that same action, different intentions. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that the direct outcome of the action, like let's say, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything to make up, but like, you know, the, the immediate response could be the exact same, but then like down the line, the actual like vibrational mm-hmm. like repercussion will be different. Yeah, like the long-term impact of it is going to be different due mm-hmm. to that intention and the energy that was carried through that action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think like the for example, the example that's popping up into my brain for whatever fucking reason is like, oh, this person has weed on them. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask to carry. I'll tell them I'm gonna carry their weed for them. And in like one 
in one uh, example, it's like, oh, because if I have their drugs, then, you know, when they want them back, I can make them do something. I can like hold their drugs hostage. You can be like, well, I'm not going to give you your weed back unless you give me a ride to blah, 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 or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the other example, it's like, no, I want to like hold on to their weed for them because I'm scared they're going to smoke before they drive. And I don't want to let them smoke before they drive because I want to keep them safe. The, you know, in in both timelines, they get pulled over by the cops because like the person has like a, whatever, a brake light that's out. And then you get found having the weed in your pocket and you, you know, get a fine or whatever it might be. But down the line, you'll get like a different, you know, vibrational repercussion from it. So it's a very silly kind of like random misdemeanor or felony like example, but um, I don't know. I don't know why, why I felt the need to dive into that, but you're basically telling your audience to stop smoking weed. Yeah, stop smoking weed before you drive. I'm not telling you to stop smoking weed. Just, just <laughs> don't do it and operate heavy machine. And if you're gonna drive, give it to Zach instead. Exactly. <laughs> you just might not get it back. I'm gonna boof it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Neil and Zach at night, anything else on your mind that you're wanting to share? No, man, I like how we started out with like a tank with like anxious and avoidant attachment styles, talked about it for seven minutes and then just moved on to something totally different. Weed and driving. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Perfect. No, that's absolutely beautiful. Oh, it was perfect night ramblings. Exactly. We're going to start doing episodes to help you go to sleep. That's what we're going to do. We're like an anagram for NPR or PNR. Perfect night ramblings. (laughs) Change the name of the podcast. Well, that was fun. I enjoyed the vibes. I actually kind of want to do more of this. I think I was, that was really nice. So. Just like my, mildly delirious, kind yeah. of chill. Yeah. Just mellow it out. And we all need a little bit of that. In so. another life, I could see you and I as like balding middle-aged men with fat mustaches, smoking cigars, like running a late night radio show where people call in. I would do that this life. <laughs> Don't we quite want to be balding, hair, but you know, not yeah. that wood. Yeah. And t- we both have great heads of hair and like not superb mustaches. I mean, your mustache looks fine, but like, no, you. you know, it's not the big bushy one that I'm imagining. No, I can't do that. I can't do a CHP stash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fire Firefighter. Stash. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. A little shadow and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yours looks, sure yours looks roguish and that's perfect for, that's perfect for you. Well, you're perfect for me. Well, hey, hey. Whoa. Now excuse us. This podcast has got to go. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we will go go.